This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of Railroad Model Craftsman magazine. Sharpen your modeling skills with in-depth features and how-tos each month with Railroad Model Craftsman from Karsten's Publications. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, the little show with big ideas. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. We may not be the longest show on the block, but we do travel a long way to find you, the shakers, movers, and innovators in this rich hobby of ours. We have two more of them for you today. Right you are, Jim. Later on, I'll be chatting with Dave Owens, a modeler who gives up a good chunk of his own personal hobby time to bring the accomplishments of others to the fore. He'll be here to tell us about the New England Northeast Prototype Modelers Meet that celebrates its 10th anniversary this year. First, though, it's Jim's turn. Did we say go a long way? Well, we're heading 16 hours west to talk to a man with an assumed name. Today on the show, we're changing the names to protect the guilty. Our guest pseudonym is Professor Kleisler. And what is Professor Kleisler guilty of? Well, top-notch modeling, that's what. The professor, an alias given to him by his friends, lives in a former penal colony many time zones west of here. He's allowed day passes to model train shows in Sydney, Australia, and points beyond. The professor has built and been a part of many very fine small layouts in the past and the present. But two years ago, he stunned the train show community with one in particular, a two-foot by four-foot exhibition layout that had the crowds lined up four deep to peer into the dark urban environment he had created. It's called Brooklyn 3AM, and if you have not first visited the link to that layout, you really should hit the pause button right now. Go give it a hard look. We want the images in your head as you listen to our words. Brooklyn 3AM is a layout with so many innovations, we had to get a tutorial from the professor. He's speaking with us now from Sydney, Australia. First, Professor Kleisler, before we talk trains, let's talk names. How did you come by your pseudonym? It's a little bit of a weird story, a bit of a long, complex one, but the short version is that most nicknames usually come from a long-running inside joke, and this is no different. A close friend whose show layout I was working with and part of the show team for, bestowed the name Prof after noting an ability to retain railroading and other info and over-answer any related question (laughs) that might be thrown at me. So that was very handy as the front man for a show layout. Kleisler is a lot simpler. If you're a geared loco fan, take a Climax and a Heisler and ram them together at speed. As a result, I've been Professor Kleisler ever since. Okay. It's worth noting this has become your real name in the modeling community. The chat groups, the publications, the websites all acknowledge you as Professor Kleisler, right? Folks can Google your name and they'll find you. The name came first back when I joined what was in the late 1990s, one groups, e-groups, and then Yahoo groups bought it out. I joined those as Professor Kleisler. Prior to those groups being available, the HON30 mail car list on the Major Domo server, again, joined that as Professor Kleisler. And yeah, the professor really has taken on a life of his own. There are very few people who, in the train community at least, would know me by any other name. Well, listen, we better talk trains here. Brooklyn 3 a.m. is so amazing. I'm not really sure where to start. I have to say the lighting and sound effects are what really make this layout, I would say. So let's start with the sound. You worked very closely with Jim Wells of Fantasonics, which in itself is a very innovative model railway sound effects company. Can you tell us about that? Jim and I both share the idea that sound is kind of the other image. As modelers, we quite logically focus on the visuals. And because we're modeling railways, we have the benefit over a lot of other forms of modelling that the motion, imitating the emulating the motion of the uh, trains, having them move is a lot easier than with many other scale modelling formats. But 
something's always missing. And with the explosion of onboard sound, it doesn't take a whole lot of a stretch of the imagination to work out that people are wanting the sound. People are wanting the things to make some noise. Interestingly enough, you can make a loco make some noise, but there are so many noisemakers within the environment that make noise, and we hear those noises even if we don't perceive them every moment of the day. Your ears never stop. You can do layout sound right now very cheaply with very easily and readily available components. It really is a something that can lift the entire presentation of a layout without a great amount of either dollar outlay or effort outlay if you feel so inclined. As with anything, you could also go completely to town, scratch build like mad. Well, you scratch um, build sound. He scratch builds his sound effects. He doesn't go out and record, say, a harbor scene. He creates images. Does he not abstract images ab- with sounds? Ab- abstract in the sense of they may not be based off a specific scene. You're in the situation where they have to be generic enough that his big city scene, for example, will fit with anyone's big city on any given layout that Jim's never seen. I think we'll have to chase him down, Professor Kleisler, but I was struck by the fact, did he not spend 100 hours with you working on the sound for your module? Well, Brooklyn was a platform to do a true scale sound scratch build. It was a perfect sort of situation that was just begging for that kind of work and Brooklyn 3AM as a theme really begged for it. Jim provided through the Fanasonics CDs, he provided some bed tracks using the um, big city and industrial. Using those as beds, I then scratch built a number of sounds, uh, dogs barking, police sirens, to take an example, a very specific example. The New York Police Department use light bars and sirens from a company called Federal Signal. Federal Signal quite handily publish uh, MP3s on their website of the specific siren sounds that they program into their light bars. So by using those as fodder, to use the modelling metaphor, strip wood and styrene, I was able to scratch build and um, modify those such that they then fit into the scene. The actual build itself took about three days. It was three days reasonably continuous. I'd done some pre-mixing and pre-building, but the actual final mix was a three-day non stop marathon. 44 tracks worth of audio, all composed together and panned and positioned and composed with the audio editing system connected directly to the layout. So I was actually using the speakers that were already installed in the layout as the reference so that I knew that when I put a sound right on top of the police cars in the audio sense, in its perception, in its position between the speakers, that was exactly where it was going to be. This is amazing. And the soundtrack also has a rave party happening on the, the second floor of a, a warehouse building. That rave party has lighting effects, uh, red lasers. Yes, it does. It's 3 a.m. It's an industrial area with abandoned warehouses. What did we think was going to happen? You know, the young kids are going to get in there and there is going to be doof-doof happening. The building itself is kitbashed out of some Walters, the hardwood furniture, if memory serves. It does have audio support through the audio system. The basic lighting in there is a series of auto colour-changing 5mm LEDs. The primary effect, it's a little thing called a Botex laser crab. This is a very small, semi-pro laser pattern generator that things like weddings, parties, bar mitzvah, DJs will carry with them to give them a cheap laser show. The Botech Crab is mounted underneath the layout, fired up into the corner of the building, bounced off a mirror so that it shines through the building, and then there are various bits of mirror glued throughout the interior of the building to reflect the laser and bounce it around. Of course, you can't see lasers generally. Three milliwatt red lasers are not real easy to see through basic air, so to emulate the typical smoke machine, 
machine or smoke generator of a rave party, there is a uh, Zoita smoke generator in there. So we've got the smoke effects. You can see the lasers through there. You've got the LEDs lighting it all up. Interestingly, the oil for the smoke gen is coming from a Walther's air conditioning unit, which is mounted on top of the building. It's been sealed and actually forms an oil tank for the smoke machine oil. It's plumbed down through the building and feeds the smoke generator. It allows a long-term burn without you having to worry about running out of oil and burning out the smoke gen. Out the front in the doorway where the bouncer is controlling who's in the party and who's not, if your name's not on the door, you're not coming in, there is a fibre optic light over the doorway. It is a fibre optic strand fed by a high-brightness LED in the building. But the primary purpose of that doorway light apart from looking good, is that because you can't necessarily see when the smoke generator is on and you don't want to dry boil it, if the doorway light is on, then the smoke gen's on. If the doorway light is off, the smoke gen is inactive. And so it acts as a hiding in plain sight on-off indicator for the smoke generator. Could you be more specific? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is just blowing me away. Uh, we'll have to move this along here, Professor. Uh, I take it that some of that smoke is what comes up through the manhole covers, but you've got nighttime no. effects. You've got rain damp and scenery. You have a powered traverser, and that allows you to stand out front of your layout to talk to the folks. You don't have to be behind moving the trains, right? That's correct. Because there is a dirty, great big warehouse hiding the traverser, I couldn't drive it manually, and I didn't want to have to think about trying to index it or anything like this. So the challenge was to give some controls which would make sense, both in terms of electrically and mechanically they're reliable, but also on the front panel, a traverser doesn't usually make sense to a modeler. How do I get from track A to track C? So on the front panel, if someone goes to the Brooklyn webpage that you've linked to, they will see a uh, control panel which emulates the track arrangement that the traverser mechanically replicates but doesn't physically look like. So in terms of navigating, it makes it a lot simpler. Mm -hmm. The traverser itself is driven by a Micromark switch tender, which is driving a worm screw, and that worm screw moves the traverser very slowly backwards and forwards, even when it's got a full load of trains and locomotives on it. All of which allows you to stand out in front and interact with with the the audience. That's your preferred... I'm sorry, with, with the people, yes. And this is your preferred method of layout presentation. Absolutely. Uh, Please work with the people. If you're going to do a show, get out there. You need to be able to get to the people. If you're, you know, burrowed down, head down or behind the layout, the unwitting kind of feel that you give to the viewers that you really don't want to talk to them. You don't want them to be particularly interested. That can really put a lot of people off. We agree with you totally there. Let's be honest for just a second. In the 30 seconds that it takes you to answer the question of a young child who actually is interested in in the layout and wants to get into modeling, you give them 30 genuine seconds of your time, you may have just kick-started the next outstanding model railroader, and that's always worth doing. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Among your presentation topics, one that struck me in particular, because I was familiar with most of the others, is that you say layout operators are part of the package. Can, can you explain that? Absolutely. Well, again, it comes to presentation. I owe this to Mark and Angela Fry, particularly the husband and wife team that created Swans Crossing. They very much instilled the idea that when we take the layout out to a show, it's all about presentation, and the presentation is a whole show deal. Everything about the layout, the people in it, how you dress, your attitude to the people, everything about it, you're putting your best foot forward. Anytime you go to a true train show, you're putting your best foot forward, and that includes how you scrub up and how you relate to the crowd. All right. So... 
Yes, absolutely. Team and public presentation. We'll send folks to page 95A of the small layout scrapbook that Carl Arndt has, and they can read all about that. The architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, when asked which was his favorite design, always replied, the next one, are you that way, or is Brooklyn 3AM going to be uh, your party piece for a while to come? I think Frank and myself might be in one accord there. I tend to have a lot of ideas simmering away, spread all over all kinds of themes and modelling disciplines and such like, and I'll just pick up little bits of information as I go along. For example, the one photo that inspired Brooklyn was published in Trains magazine July 2000, and between 2000 and, say, 2006-2007, every once in a while I'd see something more about New York Cross Harbour, or I'd see another photo of a train going through the corner of that building, and I'd go, oh, I need to know about that, because that's had me. Once any given idea kind of builds up enough momentum and enough, you know, I know that a given keynote locomotive or structure is available, I've got enough research material so that I feel I understand it. It kind of makes sense. I know enough about the theme to say, yep, it can be plausible. It hits what I call critical mass. And once it hits critical mass, hold on for the ride because it's not going to stop till it's finished. <laughs> oh, right. We'll be looking down the track to the next station stop. Wish we could talk longer, but this has been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. We have been speaking with Professor Kleisler, who always signs off his emails with the motto, aim to improve. I can tell you, if you follow his example, you can't help but improve. And thanks again for being with us today. Not a problem at all. There you have it, folks. Sydney, Australia and back without the jet lag. You know, the professor sounds like someone we'd love to share a pint or two with. Perhaps some old Admiral Dark Ale or some Cascade Premium Lager. And certainly, I enjoyed both of them on the rocks uh, when I was in Sydney. Well, Australia is gifted to have many fine breweries and model railroaders. And uh, by the way, if you want to know the professor's real identity, I, I know it, Trevor doesn't, but I know it. Uh, just uh, write your request on a $50 bill and send it to me, not Trevor, at the Model Railway Show. I've got my $50 bill right here, Jim, but it's S scale. Uh, well, don't forget, you can find the Model Railway show on facebook and you can also find us on itunes podcast.com and podfeed.net be sure to sign up for a free podcast subscription and you'll never miss an episode next if you've never been to an rpm meet you're cheating yourself out of a lot of inspiration and good fellowship as a first step on the path to self-forgiveness we have some dates in june for you to circle on your calendar Here's Trevor and his guest. The New England Northeast Railroad Prototype Modelers Meet celebrates 10 years of learning and fun this year. The meet takes place the first weekend in June in Collinsville, Connecticut, and has become a particular favorite for those modeling railroads past and present that ran through the region. I've modeled lines based in both New Hampshire and Maine and know many hobbyists who are enthusiastic about the trains that ran through this beautiful part of the world. So this meet is definitely on my must-attend list. Is it on yours? Well, to find out, why not check out the New England Northeast RPM website? As always, you will find a link to that on our website. In the meantime, though, I'm pleased to have Dave Owens, one of the organizers, here to tell us about the meet. Dave, welcome to the Model Railway Show, and congratulations on celebrating a decade of RPM meets in Collinsville. Well, thank you very much. We're astonished we've gotten this far. Now, how did the meet get started? It began with a group of friends, me and several of my buddies who work on the meet, traveling to a meet organized by Jim Six out in Ohio. 
we had a great time. We met a lot of great people, saw a lot of great models, learned a lot, and we decided we wanted to do that in New England. We weren't aware of any similar event up here, so we set to try to start such an event. And it took us a couple of years to get it going, but we got it going, and we've had a pretty good run so far. Now, how's it grown over the years? How many did you have at that first meet, and what do you draw now? The first meet, it's hard for me to remember the exact numbers. It was fewer than 100, but everybody had a good time. We enjoyed it, and there was tremendous desire to keep it going. And over the years, we have increased incrementally. We've peaked at about 140, 150 people. That's a really good size. Even just 100 people at that very first meet is fantastic. I know there's some meets I attend that if you get 40, you've considered it a success. So well done on that. One of the great things about this type of meet, of course, is getting together and meeting people, but also getting to see the models that they're working on. How many models do you typically get on display? It varies. We've leveled at about 500. The first year, we had about 700, which we hit that number because we had one fellow who brought a large collection of Canadian national models. But we've settled at about five to 600, and it's the full range. Freight cars, locomotives, buildings, structures, and vehicles, and anything else you can think of. Some very specific, very esoteric items, and the full gamut. And we welcome it and love to have it all. Emphasis on New England and New York State prototypes? or There are quite a few of those guys, but we also have a very active group of modelers who focus on other areas of the country. Chessy, the Chessy system. I, I personally model the Reading. The Penn Central has been a popular one among people who come to the meet. People who, who enjoy that railroad that existed eight short years and causes great consternation among all New Haven fans. And it's a real it's a real mix. There are some real New England focused models of stations, for instance, that are just remarkable. But we have a pretty good mix. Now, New England is a really popular region to model. I, I know people all over the world who've built layouts based on parts of New England. What do you think draws so many people to modeling New England subjects? Well, there's such a variety. Back in the early days of steam and then the steam to diesel transition area, New England had a lot of heavy industry. So there's all kinds of freight trains. We've had a very long tradition of passenger trains, even now mostly as commuter trains that continue to operate. We also have a heavy Amtrak presence with the Northeast Corridor and the Acela train and even the, the regional trains running inland along the Hartford-New Haven-Springfield line. But there's lots of activity. We've still got the mainline railroads running up in Massachusetts on the old Boston and Albany. And then we've got short-line railroads running in Connecticut and elsewhere. We also have, of course, have Guilford, which I believe is still a class one on the old Boston and Maine and Maine Central lines. And lots of variety within those railroads, too. If you're modeling New Haven or Boston, Maine, you can model commuter operations or mainline freight trains, or you can model a sleepy little branch that sees one or two trains a week. Absolutely. It's just an incredible mix, an incredible variety. I guess also, just thinking about it, a lot of the towns that were served by rail were quite small and modelgenic. It's possible to fit some of these smaller places and some of the short lines, like you've mentioned New England Central, and I'm thinking Green Mountain and Vermont Railway, as well as two more modern examples. You can fit that sort of thing into a train room quite easily. Yeah, you can pick a model or a location or two, a landmark or two, and have a convincing railroad to represent a particular area here in New England. Is that sort of attraction, do you find that that's drawing people to the RPM meet because they're interested in the region? Do you get people from outside the region coming to the show? We do. We have quite a few people who travel quite a distance to get here, and they'll usually come a day early and spend some time out rail fanning, uh, hitting the things they can't normally see, the Northeast Corridor being real popular with the variety of commuter operations of Metro North and the Amtrak trains, the Acela and then the regular scheduled, they used to call them clockers. Now they call them regional trains, I believe. We also have pretty heavy activity on the B&A line from Boston out towards uh, Albany. And we have Washington Hill, which is a great place to watch trains as the trains climb the 
Berkshires. Looking at the reports on previous gatherings, the New England Northeast RPM meet seems to draw some really well-known hobbyists to give clinics and presentations. Uh, what do you have lined up for this year? Well, we're still working on our schedule, but we have some terrific people coming. We've really, really been lucky to have such generous people come and, and to give us their time and their and their experience and knowledge. There's a fellow named Chip Sim who we got to know actually at the first meet we attended. He's a retired railroad engineer, and he's an incredible modeler. He actually runs his model railroad with a control stand from a GP38, and he is going to be coming and doing uh, several clinics, and he's also going to do an evening program on his time on the railroad. He took his camera to work just about every day and took all kinds of great pictures and has great stories to go with those pictures. We also have a man named Pete McLaughlin. He was an engineer who hired out in the New Haven Railroad who does a program each year, and it's always hugely popular because he's got great stories to tell about every picture. He was a very active rail fan and took his camera to work with him every day on the railroad. We also have a lot of other terrific guys who work each year to develop a new program for something they're interested in. A great guy named Art Beeler, an accountant from Virginia who is a real New York Central fan and works on developing a clinic. The last couple of years have been about stations along in the Boston Albany, the Richardsonian stations, and puts together a lot of really interesting information. And we also have guys who put on programs about the layouts they're building and what they're learning as they go out and collect information and how they have to make compromises as they build. As you get closer to the meet, which, uh, as we said earlier, is the first weekend in June, uh, you'll have more information about that on your website. So We're going to get be... the schedule. We'll get a list of clinics up on our website and as close to the meet as we can, the schedule. The, the schedule, of course, is always subject to change because people have events happen in their lives and they can't make it at the last minute. But we've had pretty good luck over the years with people coming. So we'll make sure listeners check your website for that. Now, you also get a number of manufacturers attending this event, don't you? We do. It's kind of neat and we're really honored that these folks come. The guys from Atlas Monterey Company have come each year and showed new products. They've actually announced new products at the meet. George Barrett, a wonderful model maker from Maine who focuses on vehicles, comes each year. He won't make it this year, unfortunately. He'll be at the big national truck show, which is occurring that same weekend up in West Springfield, Massachusetts. We have Branch Line Trains, which makes a terrific line of structure kits these days, had done the incredible Pullman cars. Bill Schneider with Rapido Trains, who comes each year and shows off their terrific items. And Bob's Photo, who's always very popular, Speedwitch Media, Ted Collada and his resin kits, and Finero and Camerlango, who makes some terrific resin kits, come each year. Sounds like a who's who of people who are serious about modeling. We're really pleased to have them all because they just add to the meat. They make it that much more enjoyable for the people who come. You get a position of honor here since uh, you actually agreed to come on the show and talk about the meat. You get the door prize here. You get to talk about your own modeling. Uh, what railroad are you uh, interested in and, and what are you working on these days? Well, my primary railroad is the Reading Railroad. I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a Reading branch line. The Bethlehem branch ran through my hometown and it was the branch on which the Reading hauled iron ore to Bethlehem Steel up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. There's also commuter lines on that line, uh, electric commuter and all RDCs used to run as well. I'm also interested in the Pennsylvania Railroad because it was nearby and then its later manifestations, Penn Central and Conrail, and the other anthracite roads, Central of New Jersey, Lehigh Valley, Lehigh, New England. I also like the Chessie, and I also like the Housatonic Railroad, which is a short line up here in Connecticut that runs over the Berkshire line. I've got a couple of Cato GP35s set aside for several years waiting for Housatonic paint. So those aren't coming out to the meet this year then? They won't be ready, but I've been working on, believe it or not, I've been working on fire trucks actually, and I'll have some of those, at least one of those on display. And I've also been working on a train of tanks, military tanks. I've been assembling the old Rocco flat cars, which match the Magore flat cars that were used to haul tanks and armored vehicles vehicles into the 80s before the M1 Abrams tanks were produced. So I've been working on those flat cars. It's been a, a multi-year process. 
So I hope to have a couple of those ready to show. You obviously get a lot out of these meets because, well, you started one, having been to some others. What is it that you like about going to the RPMs? I like to learn. I always learn. I always find that there's something new, an interesting technique, or just an interesting bit of information about the prototypes I model. And I like to go to a meet down in Malvern, Pennsylvania, put on by the NMRA group down around Philadelphia, because there's a lot of guys there who model the railroads I'm interested in, and I can learn from them. There are so many terrific meets around the country, and I've been trying to get to them. I've been to about four or five, and there's many more I'd like to get to, because it's just an opportunity to learn, get to know people, and have a good time. I haven't been to a bad proto meet yet. I haven't either. They've all been fantastic. Well, best of luck with the meet this year. Congratulations again on doing this for 10 years now, and uh, thanks for joining us today, Dave, on the Model Railway Show. Thanks so much, and we hope to see you. We hope you can make it one year. I certainly plan to. Dave Owens is one of the organizers of the New England Northeast Railroad Prototype Modelers Meet, celebrating 10 years this year. This year's meet takes place June 1st and 2nd in Collinsville, Connecticut, and we'll have a link to the meet on our website, so check out themodelrailwayshow.com for more details. Thanks, guys. Connecticut in June sounds like a fine combination of time and place. And kudos to Dave and the gang for how quickly they've grown the New England Northeast Prototype Modelers Meet. You know, I'd love to see more meets like this, and it got me thinking as I was talking to him about how to create a meet like this that maybe someone who organizes RPM should do a clinic on how to create such an event at Indeed. a convention. Anyway, this one sounds like a good summer road trip to take. I think so. Yeah. Folks, don't forget to visit our Flickr gallery. A lot of our guests uh, give us photos so that you can uh, look in on what they're doing, including some really interesting workbench photos. Uh, visit themodelrailwayshow.com for interesting links to our interviews as well, and be sure to visit our swag shop. This is a good point, I think, to uh, also give a shout-out to the good folks at Train Life who keep all of our older episodes of the Model Railway Show in the cooler, and you can go to the pantry and pull one out anytime you want to listen. Yes, a great idea if you uh, are new to the show and you want to catch up on what we've been doing for the past year and a half. Well, that's it for this time around. Next time on the show, Jim talks to Jim Wells of Fantasonics Engineering. It was his unique company that helped provide the soundtrack for Professor Kleisler's layout. And I'll be chatting with Fritz Milhaupt about a unique traveling demonstration layout that teaches the basics of train operations. Until then, keep thinking outside the toolbox. Our thanks to Chris Abbott for guiding us through the digital maze, to Dave Woodhead for Clackety, that catchety theme song that's now buried deep in our skulls, and Otto Vondrag for a website that's second to none. For Trevor Marshall, I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for listening, and keep spreading the word about the Model Railway Show. Mm-hmm.